Did you ever think being a woman who wanted it all would be so hard? I didn't either. That's why my guests and I are unveiling the issues and challenging the norms of modern womanhood with the intention of exploring and publicly airing the uncomfortable and the unspoken. No topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions that most people are too ashamed to ask. Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. So, are you in? If something is not making you happy, walk away. You have one life. This isn't a dress rehearsal. Like, you have one life, and within that life, you have a certain number of years where you're at your peak, where you have the most amount of opportunities coming your way. Energy. Your energy, your vitality. I think that your ability to be vulnerable, all of that is compacted into a certain amount of years. It's so quick, so... If something's not making you happy, you have the power to change that and you will be okay. You'll actually, if it's a fear about money, if it's a fear about losing something, you may have to go through that loss to feel better eventually. And I think when you push through discomfort, that's when you see the change. Our guest today is the epitome of a modern entrepreneur, having started her first business at just 10 years old, which marked the beginning of what would go on to become a very impressive career journey. In grade 10, she did work experience with ACP magazines, now known as Bauer Media, working across Dolly Magazine, Madison Magazine and Clio. She went on to study a Bachelor of Arts in Media, Communications and PR and in her first semester applied for an internship at a fashion and beauty PR agency in Sydney, where she interned and was later promoted to account executive. By the end of her university degree, she already had three years of real-world PR experience and at just 21 years of age, she booked a one-way ticket to New York where she ended up working at New York Fashion Week and New York Fashion's Night Out for PR superstar Kelly Catrone. When she returned home to Sydney to continue her career in PR, she worked on campaigns with celebrities, actors, business leaders, models and influencers. It was during this time that she recognised there was a gap in the market and at just 23 years of age, she came up with a one-stop shop beauty app idea that would go on to revolutionise the beauty industry in Australia for girls on the go. In 2016, our guest went from being the sole founder to a co-founder when she merged her startup with a female competitor, and together in 2017, they appeared on Channel 10 Shark Tank, where they not only received an offer for $250,000 in investment, but saw a 300% spike in user numbers and more than $30,000 in revenue the night the show aired, causing both their website and app to crash. Although they went on to dominate the Australian market and had plans to go global, their startup was later acquired by Urban Company in 2020, the world's leading platform to book quality at-home services. Her story is by no means ordinary and is a testament to just how extraordinary our guest is today. And the best part is, it's not over yet. Guys, I am so excited to have her on this episode, how to chase your bliss and define success on your own terms. Together, we discuss the reality surrounding startup life as a female founder in a male-dominated industry, including the many personal sacrifices involved, in addition to how everyone's version of success is different, which is why it's so important to chase your bliss and live life your way, regardless of how challenging it might be. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you today the inspiring and lovely Lauren Warwick. Lauren, welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. So we should probably set the context and let people know that we actually went to the same school and grew up in similar circles. So how about we start from the beginning? Did you always know that you were going to go on to do big things when you grew up? Yes, (laughs) I did actually. Um, As a kid, I was very entrepreneurial. I think I was like five or six, maybe six. Um, and I started to go to garage sales with my dad and um, collect things and then sell them for more. I obviously had that inclination. I don't know where I got that from. Um, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so it was potentially ingrained. Um, so I had this innate affinity with making money, I guess, or learning how to make money, but it wasn't, the thrill didn't come from making money. The thrill came from watching something work and watching um, me create something that was 
of value to somebody else. That's amazing. I read once that you also had a dog walking business. Is that correct? Yeah, I started Puppy People when I was like 10. Um, and it was, I think it was a way to get out of doing homework genuinely when I was coming home from school. Um, I went to Vaucluse Public School and I think that I got home by like, I don't know, four o'clock. And so my neighbors, I would just take their dogs for walks, but I printed flyers at Officeworks and it became a little bit of a neighborhood business for a couple of hours after school. Um, and it was kind of like that gold coin donation. It wasn't an actual business, but that's obviously how I chose to spend my time even as a kid. Amazing. And so when you got to high school, did you know what it was that you wanted to do once you left? Yeah, it really became clear to me during the compulsory work experience that you have to do in grade 10. Um, and so I did mine at Bauer Media, which is, um, it was ACP at the time. So Dolly Magazine, Madison Magazine. Um, and it was a one week mandatory work experience. And after that, I just requested to stay on and spend my school holidays, my eight week school holidays um, at the end of the year with the same team. I just wanted to see them produce um, all of those issues. I wanted to assist on photo shoots. Um, and so that world became really interesting to me. And at the same time, um, I was learning about the internet and eBay. And I started to actually go to Zimmerman and, and Camilla and Mark Warehouse sales and, and get, uh, I guess, clothes that still had tags on them that showed full price, but I would buy them for maybe 50% off. And then I would sell them online on eBay for full price. So that was all happening at the same time. So I was just really interested in fashion and beauty um, and I guess in, in turning that into a business. Yeah, amazing. And so it takes a lot of courage to purchase a one-way ticket to New York at the age of 21. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it didn't feel courageous at the time. I don't know. It, it didn't feel like a big deal for me. I was so excited. I remember it feeling like a big deal to my parents. Um, of course. Knowing that they're what I guess a kid is what they saw, um, kind of going to New York to live for however long. Um, but for me, it was an exciting opportunity to firstly gain independence because I was still living with my parents. I was still really young. But it was also a way for me to kind of converge this TV experience that I was I was constantly, I was enamored, I would say, by uh, celebrity culture and MTV. And so I was watching. Weren't we all? <laughs> I know. I, I think about how obsessed we were with like the OC and I guess because we didn't have Instagram or social media. So TV really was the, the exactly. OG social media. It was our first like real exposure to the world overseas. Absolutely. Um, I had this really strong uh, gut instinct and this connection with celebrity culture. I was watching uh, The City and Laguna Beach, and, and if anyone um, listening has watched those shows, um, Kelly Catrone played a big role in, in that show, and Lauren Conrad and Whitney Port, and their lives just at Teen Vogue and then working for a PR agency, which was Kelly Catrone's PR agency um, called People's Revolution. That looked so glamorous and appealing, so for me, when I booked that one-way ticket, it was just about going over there and being like Lauren Conrad and Whitney Port, I guess. Absolutely. And I remember being obsessed with Kelly Catrone as well. I thought that she was just so iconic, such a go-getter, a woman to be feared, but also admired. What was it like working for her? Um, it's interesting because there wasn't any fear at all. I think that uh, the way that I started working with her was just as an intern. So I don't think there was this pressure to kind of do extremely well, but I've just got a natural inclination to just work really hard and, and put my best foot forward when it comes to a work environment. So even as an intern, just like being the first one there, being the last one to leave, just offering a helping hand wherever I can. It was just a, a freak chance thing that happened when we were walking down Fifth Avenue and Kelly dropped her uh, credit card. It came out of her the pocket of her jacket and I happened to be walking behind her. So I picked up her credit card. Uh, she was in the middle of a conversation with somebody else she was walking next to and so I waited till that conversation was over and then I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, Kelly, you've dropped your credit card. And she was so 
so gracious, so thankful, like took me out to dinner. We had a beautiful dinner. That's um, so lovely. Yeah, so above so, and beyond. Yeah, yeah. So sh- I, j- I just didn't have a, a bad experience with her at all. Um, but I did get glimpses into the way that she operates, which was very evident on the show. But I don't consider that to be... Um, negative at all. I just think that there was no time for any bullshit. So she was just doing what she had to do to get things done in an efficient manner. I think anyone running a business can relate to that, right? So it's not so unreasonable. Uh, But I did read her book, If You Have to Cry, Go Outside. So was there any point while working for Kelly Catrone that you had to go outside and cry? Not from working with her, but I do remember the long hours during fashion week. It was like 4am starts to be there at 5am. It was like 2am finishes because um, of all the bump out and also the whining and dining and stuff afterwards. And I do remember I was also working at a bar at the same time because I obviously had rent to pay. And so I was getting by for a couple of weeks on like barely any sleep. Um, And so I think that by the end, I kind of crumbled out of just exhaustion. It was by no means from her. It was just the adrenaline wore off by by the end of that period. I get that. Absolutely. So I remember speaking to you a couple of years ago about how I had a similar app idea to Glamazon. And then we bonded over the fact that we also had the idea to do something similar for um, laundry. Yes. Yeah. But as everyone knows, an idea is just an idea. It all comes down to execution. So Talk to me about how you came up with the concepts of Glamazon at just 23 years of age and how you went about making it a reality. Uh, The age thing, I don't consider that to be that strange. I think that coming up with a a business idea at 10 is strange and <laughs> which you also do <laughs> and 16 and like all those things i think by 23 uh you've had enough exposure to how businesses operate and how archaic certain industries can be and so there was just this genuine feeling of frustration when i tried to book beauty salon appointments that I had to Google the phone number, call up the salon, find out what was available or not, see if I could fit in at a time that suited me. If I couldn't, I'd hang up the phone and do that again until I found a a salon nearby that I could book in with. And that just felt really archaic to me. Having just lived in New York, uh, there was a platform called Seamless Web where you could get anything delivered to your door. And this was 2011. So this is very early days apps were very new in in Australia. And I don't know, it it felt like a natural progression for the industry. And I just wanted to make my life easier. Yeah. So you were looking for a solution to a problem you had in your own life. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, So I've read so many articles that discuss how women are no less competent than men, but they do lack confidence compared to men. So given that you had no prior experience in the tech industry, did you ever doubt yourself throughout the process? And if so, how did you overcome this? I definitely doubted myself when I had to put all of my trust in the technical developers and engineers that I was working with because I had no experience or knowledge to back up um, what they were saying. So I had to kind of take it as gospel. And that bit me in the ass early on when I worked with an app company that, you know, was really expensive and didn't really produce what I thought they were going to produce. Um, And by the time I learned how to communicate with developers, I had spent a lot of money, um, but I finally found a group of great engineers and developers, and I really did trust them. And they were all male. Um, And I felt as though I could utilize their knowledge and skills in meetings with, say, investors. But when it came to separate meetings, not about technology, just about business, I for sure felt vulnerable in certain situations. I remember distinctly this one investor meeting, a potential investor, and the Glamazon logo was a G with a, a dot next to it in a circle. It. Yeah. And um, he said at the end of the meeting, I've already found your G spot. And I like, sorry, the blood I had to pick my jaw off my face. The <laughs> yeah. I felt like faint and dizzy and didn't know what to say. And oh. I just think that <laughs> for a, 
a young female, I think I would have been like 24 or 25 at the time, meeting with someone above the age of 50 to experience that. Like it, it does rock you a bit. I found that very confronting. Felt I was like thrusted into this world of male business that I just for a second didn't want to be a part of. But I, over time, I started to realize the power in being the only female in a room full of men. And I could see the reactions on their faces with how surprised they would be with my knowledge. And that just comes with my pure obsession with wanting to learn how to run my business the best way I could. And so I was always on top of the numbers and everything that was going on within the business. And that was unexpected to these men for whatever reason. They didn't expect the things that were coming out of my mouth to come out of my mouth. Amazing. I I just can't get over that story that you just told, though. It's unbelievable to me that in a professional setting like that, a man would take that as an opportunity to, like, sexualize the situation. (laughs) That's just insane. So... I read that less than 10% of the startup ecosystem is female-founded. Other than that situation that you just shared, was there ever a time you weren't really taken seriously as a female founder? All the time. When I was initially a sole founder, that was the worst because the conversations weren't just about being a sole founder, but it was a sole female founder, and then it was a sole non-technical female founder building a tech business. So already the risk was all over me. It was just, you were way too risky. Um, We will never back you. It's hard to know whether that was because I'm female or not, that if a male sole founder, non-technical background would have been in the same position. But as a female, you have intuition about certain conversations that you're having. And there were definitely times where I felt the stigma of being a female in that situation was the thing that was holding me back. And how did you handle that? Were you intimidated a lot of the time or did it like sort of encourage you to work harder? And I think that I've always been the type of person to know that whatever is meant to be will be and that whatever rejection or failure you come up against is just a stepping stone to the next kind of opportunity and and it's a lesson learned and it builds enormous resilience, which is very important. So it was kind of just like pull up your socks and get on with it. Yeah, like that, the concept fail forward, right? Yeah. Yeah, love that. So you've worked in fashion PR and then owned an app designed for the beauty industry that literally helps women to look and feel like a celebrity by bringing the salon to them. How have you handled being a young woman working in these industries that are so centred on physical appearance? Have you ever felt pressure to look or be a certain way? First of all, yes. (laughs) But second of all, I love to look a certain way anyway. It makes me feel good. And that is the message within Glamazon. That was always the message. Even naming the business Glamazon, I was walking out of a hair salon appointment and I just had my hair done and I just wanted to embody this feeling that I I felt walking out of that salon and I felt like a glamazon, like it just came to me. And so that feeling of self-confidence is a really beautiful feeling. And so while I have felt the pressure from society, it's one that I've enjoyed um, kind of living up to that. But I did feel like I couldn't go to meetings or, you know, events without perfect nails and perfect hair because there would be judgment that you have a beauty app. And it was so funny because I would never have the time to even get any of those things done. So <laughs> The irony. The irony of like have not having my brows done for like a year and um, my hair just always being pulled back because it was, you know, easier than having it if I didn't have time to get a blow dry um, and then my nails being chipped. So I think that that's, that is really funny and ironic, but I, I felt the pressure to kind of show up as the leader of um, a beauty business, for sure. I feel like women feel that pressure no matter what industry they work in anyway, you know, like I feel that pressure daily. Uh, And I've worked in so many environments where if I don't put in 100% effort, people will comment, right? So, but I like that, that you were essentially trying to empower women to feel their best. Yeah, that was always the messaging in our advertising. Um, it's, It's about confidence building. And if you feel great with your hair done, if you feel more confident in a meeting with your nails not chipped, then that's really important. And that's exactly what we wanted to achieve with Amazon. 
I love that. So you went from being the sole founder of a startup to being a co-founder with a business partner who was once a competitor. I've heard so many horror stories about having business partners and have even had my fair share. What was it like to have a business partner versus working on your own? Would you recommend it? It's very different for every business and for every person. So I had been running Glamazon for three years already and I was rejected from investment a lot because I was the sole founder, female founder, everything that I just mentioned before. I wasn't on the lookout for a co-founder, but when the stars kind of aligned and I got that phone call from an investor to say, I've been in touch with somebody who's got a similar business to you. I think that you'd be great together. If you guys merge, I'll invest. That was the actually the catalyst to us meeting. Um, and that was an exciting opportunity in itself. So it wasn't as if I was looking for a, a business partner at the time because I was tired. I like needed to share the journey with someone. Yes, I, I wanted all those things, but it wasn't a necessity. Um, so the fact that the meeting came through an opportunity like that, uh, I guess, doesn't happen all the time. And second of all, when I met Lisa, we had completely different skill sets. She had built a very successful business already. I was excited at the prospect of learning from another female and learning how to build a business from scratch. And we both had the exact same mission and vision for the company. So if you're both having this aligned objective of where you want to take the company and you're in it together and focusing on opposite you know, skills um, to make that happen, then I think that that is really a match made in heaven, um, but potentially a bit of luck there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's all about like how you complement each other. And I remember you saying that like you were really enthusiastic about, you know, collaborating with another woman, which I just respected so much about you. Yeah, I mean, turning competition into collaboration was an important message we were trying to spread by the end of it, because why compete? Isn't it so rare to find someone with the exact same mission as you trying to build the same thing as you in the same market? Two brains are better than one. Many hands make light work. Like, let's do this together and support each other and not feel like we have to be up against each other and and blocking each other on Instagram and not wanting to share insights. Like, that makes business feel really tense and both neither of us are, are like that at all uh, at, in a, within our personalities. Do you still maintain contact? Yeah. I just had, a, like, an amazing hour and a half chat with her last week. She's in Costa Rica. um, Living the dream. Yeah, she lives in America um, with her partner. And so, yeah, we're still very much in in close contact. So we'll always have Glamazon together forever. So, yeah, I think that'll connect us um, for our whole lives. That's a great story. So your business was acquired by Urban Company in 2020. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So what has that transition been like for you? Urban Company had the identical mission statement to us. So... Our mission statement was to empower beauty professionals to become entrepreneurs. And Urban Company's mission statement was to empower a million professionals to become entrepreneurs around the world. So it was virtually like verbatim. Ours was very limited to the beauty industry. Theirs was very kind of you know, egalitarian, they didn't have, it it was all kinds of professionals and they had a number of how many professionals they wanted to impact in the world. Because if you're providing an income and a livelihood to a million professionals and their families are being affected by that, the network effect is, you know, tens of millions. So I, I think that that was something to really respect. And the transition has been amazing. I think that COVID has put a really big dampener on the beauty side of the business. For Urban Company, beauty is just one pillar or vertical for them. For Glamazon, it was the only vertical. And unfortunately, not being able to perform beauty services, um, their non-essential services, there were a lot of beauty professionals that um, obviously lost their jobs. Um, hopefully, a lot of them were able to access some kind of government funding, but that was really that was really heartbreaking for us. Of um, course. But knowing that we would post-COVID relaunch beauty was 
comforting and that will still happen. Um, but in the meantime, I get to work with this incredible team, incredible values, incredible culture, learn so much about data and analytics, uh, which I didn't learn as much before with Glamazon because Lisa focused more on that and I was focusing more on the marketing and branding. Um, and so to be kind of thrown in the deep end of this really fast growing tech company, um, you know, and, and, and like they're a $2 billion company. They just raised another like $250 wow. million. They're so successful. And, and so to be surrounded by such incredible entrepreneurs, I call them, because they're just, they're basically entrepreneurs within a business who are just deploying these entrepreneurial um, kind of skill sets to to helping um, grow the company. That has been a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I love it there. That's so amazing. And how fortunate that Glamazon was acquired by Urban Company pre-COVID, given that weird timing. Yeah. Crazy to think like it was 20 days before its seventh birthday that it got acquired. And to think that the deal was done on the 28th of February and we were in lockdown by the 15th of March. Wow. That is just incredible. Uh, so full disclosure, I use Urban Company all the time. <laughs> During COVID, I actually use their beauty services mm-hmm. and then I've been using their cleaning services. So I can fully Amazing. like, yeah, vouch for the app. It's incredible. Um, so how has your role changed since the business has been acquired? My role has changed in that it's much more targeted and focused towards one aspect of the business. So rather than being the generalist that I was running Glamazon, where you have to wear every single hat, um, because it's such a lean operation. So you're doing as much as you can on your own so that you don't have to spend money um, hiring people to do that. Rather, with Urban Company leading their market expansion here into their first Western market and specifically working on their leading their their marketing and, and branding, I think that it has allowed me to really hone a certain skill set um, that's very specific and, and working on that day in and day out and that clarity and that focus um, has allowed me to, I think, enhance my overall understanding of, of, of marketing on its own, if that makes sense. Yeah, perfect sense. So I remember reading about how you wanted to move overseas and take Glamazon Global as well as branch out into fitness and even Manazon. Am I saying it right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so was it difficult to reroute once uh, Glamazon was acquired? It wasn't actually. I think... People often don't talk about their personal lives when it comes to business because they like to keep it separate. But when you're an entrepreneur, because there is no separation between your work life and your personal life, people often forget to discuss the emotional impact of running a business um, whilst you're trying to build a life and build relationships and maintain friendships and keep up your family um, relationships. So at that time, I had just gotten married and... There, there were so many things going on in my personal life and Lisa's personal life that the timing just did feel right. Um, I don't think that we would have done well in America, especially knowing what was to come now, that COVID was just around the corner. Right. So in a way, it was a blessing in disguise Absolutely. and everything happens for a reason. And um, I still feel as though I get to fulfill the mission of Glamazon within Urban Company because the missions were aligned anyway. So that journey hasn't stopped. So lucky. So it seems like you've always had a really strong sense of purpose. What advice would you give women who have not yet figured out what it is that they want to do in life? I think a really important thing to think about is what success means to you as an individual. We are so indoctrinated by social media and the media in general, and by our surroundings, and we only see things at surface level, that it's easy to forget what is important to us as individual people. We're all unique. We all have a different fingerprint. We all have a different upbringing um, that makes us who we are. And so I I distinctly remember when I was 25 or 26, um, I went down to the grassy knoll with a notebook and I wrote down, it was, it, the sun was setting, I was just by myself and I wrote down, what does success mean to me? And I was there for like 45 minutes just thinking about that question because every time I'd write something down on a piece of paper, I, 
I realized I was writing something down as if someone would read that diary later. Like I get that. I was like Mm -hmm. almost writing something, like creating the perfect answer, like in a school test or something. Yeah. And it was so hard to think about what I truly wanted. And in the end, I realized for me, success had nothing to do with money. Like I, I really had to. I, I just, I realized that being happy every day, feeling fulfilled and challenged every day, makes me more vibrant. Makes me the best version of myself. And if you're able to achieve your version of success, I do believe money ends up being a bonus because it just comes naturally. A byproduct, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So. And that's not to say that it's a bad thing if money is your version of success, but understanding what you consider to be success as the first step will help you create your North Star of like, what is my purpose? Where do I want to be? What do I want to do? It all comes down to that like intrinsic motivation to be the best version of you. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's such a valuable insight because people think that, you know, essentially keeping up with the Joneses is their definition of success, or at least it should be. And it doesn't bring happiness for so many people. It's a very common misconception. And even though we're told money doesn't bring you happiness, it it falls flat. It's like people just see money splashed around all over social media and it makes them feel down about themselves. Mm-hmm when you don't know how much debt people are in or you don't know how hard they work to achieve that money. Um, And even if money is something that you aspire to have, that is totally fine. But that will help you figure out your purpose. Just like for me, feeling fulfilled and challenged has totally helped me figure out my purpose. Exactly. I couldn't relate more. We've grown up in the same community. Uh, Did you ever worry about what people would think if things did not work out for your business? Yeah, I remember putting the first few posts up on Facebook when I first started Glamazon feeling so nervous and scared (laughs) that if this failed, like everyone would know. But somebody said something to me really early. They just said, no one cares about you, like in a nice way. Like no one actually cares. No one will remember There's no point holding back because of what people might think for that split second. And in actual fact, as we've learned over time, vulnerability is so empowering and inspiring. I feel like I give more credit to people for just showing up and failing than I do for people who show up and succeed for some reason because that that vulnerability is so raw. So... I just got over it. When someone said no one cares about you, I was like, yeah, no one really cares about me. Do you know how many people, women in business have told me that as well? Like they were given the same advice. No one is thinking about you. No one cares. They're all just focused on themselves. 100%. And yeah, something I love so much about you uh, is like how often you post the realities of being like an entrepreneur or a woman in business. And like it really resonated with me. Okay, yeah, vulnerability is really how people, you know, relate to you. Yeah, connect with you. It's not all... And people can even read things about Glamazon and see, you know, we raised all this money and we did really well, we got acquired. But at the end of the day, the amount of tears and everything that went wrong and the mistakes and the failures that we went through, I I think you commented recently when I posted a series of like me (laughs) photos of me just bawling my eyes out. I have this like folder on my phone that I've kept of all these really emotional breakdowns that I've had in case one day I write a book about all the terrible things. Which you so have to do. <laughs> I will be the first person to buy it. <laughs> because like, it's, it's also the fact that whilst you're trying to grow and run your business and you're becoming so obsessed with your own business, you definitely have to sacrifice other things. It's not possible to have spent 100% of your time or 90% of your time on something and still be able to maintain everything else perfectly around you. Friends start to kind of drop away because they realize you don't hang out with them as much or you forget to reply to their messages or, you know, you're not there for them when they need you, which is, it's it's sad, but it's, it's actually true because you're just putting the business first. So you start to lose friendships. Um, in my experience, when I started Glamazon at 23, I was in a, a long-term relationship and that became rocky because I, I guess my personality was changing a little bit um, because I was becoming really, really 
um, into business and understanding how to run a startup. So all my spare time was kind of invested in YouTube videos and learning about that. And I started to change who I wanted to hang out with because Mm -hmm. you want to connect with like-minded people. Humans want a sense of belonging, right? So even in a social environment, I no longer felt a sense of belonging within a group of friends or within a relationship that I had at the time where the conversations were around things that I just were no longer interested in. Exactly. I could not relate more. So has it been easy to find your tribe, you know, in life, both personally and professionally? Yeah, it's it's funny to see there's there's been some very consistent people from when I was, you know, little. I mean, I've got a twin sister who's my best friend and then my um, other two best friends I've known since I was, you know, three or four, like their family. But in terms of my high school friends, I, I love and adore them, but I'm, they're not my day-to-day. They're not my close friends any longer. I'd say that my close group of friends now um, have businesses. They're all entrepreneurial. I met my husband in a co-working space where he was also building a business and um, he's an entrepreneur. So I think that I have naturally and organically kind of um, created this little community around me of of like-minded people where I feel the most sense of belonging. Yeah, I totally relate to that. So, I mean, we've obviously touched on how startup life isn't nine till five and that a more accurate depiction is 24-7. What would you say the price for success uh, has been in your life? Uh, I would say as a someone in my early 20s, I think about from 23 to 29, um, I remember seeing all of my friends traveling Europe. Uh, I remember seeing my friends like, you know, buying cars and and doing great things and feeling jealous in a way because I couldn't do that. Um, There was something empowering in not doing it and, and saving those pennies. And I remember once thinking about the price of a cocktail, how I could probably acquire an app download for the same price as a margarita. I remember like just the, always thinking in those terms um, because you stop going out to like expensive dinners or things like that because you just literally can't. I didn't pay myself for the first three years. I moved back in with my parents. I sold my car. I sold my whole wardrobe. Um, I was not getting a cent. I was eating all the food out of their fridge. They were paying for my phone bill. Luckily, I had such supportive parents. But it wasn't until three years after Glamazon when we raised our first $300,000 that I started getting a salary, which I think was literally $35,000 was our salary. Um, which was like, you know, at the time it was so exciting. But I think back, I was like, oh my God. And I I was like 26 then. So Glamazon had, was not so glamorous, ladies. No, <laughs> totally. And even like years later, when after we raised like over a million dollars, it was, it still like had to be a lean operation. There's no point in us taking away money from the business when we wanted to grow it. So we were paying ourselves the bare minimum to pay for our expenses. Um, and so I think to go back to your question, the price of success in that sense, it it didn't feel like a price to pay for me personally. Like it just didn't feel that big of a sacrifice. Um, But I do remember moments of feeling a little bit jealous of the progressions that my friends were were making around me. And this just goes back to the whole like, you know, society making you feel like you should be at a certain place at a certain age. And I was pressured by that. Um, I would have my moments of weakness. But for the most part, it was kind of empowering to, to not be at the same place. Definitely. So, I mean, we've obviously touched on this, but, you know, how did you balance relationships when you had a startup? Was it just like work was the only focus for you? When I was in my original relationship, when I started Glamazon, um, I found that really hard to navigate and I definitely chose Glamazon over my partner. Um, I would say that was definitely the biggest contributor to our breakup, but just how I believe everything happens for a reason. I opened an office at a co-working space, like a, a desk, um, and that's where I met Jack, my husband. And then Glamazon became more of a collaborative, like how can we help each other with his business, with my business. And so, yes, work is 24-7, but if you love it and then you're around someone else who loves business just as much, that became a lot of our conversations and how we connected really, um, really nicely. Completely. So when you were single and dating, uh, did you ever come across men who were intimidated by your success? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> What、um, did that look like? It was just. It was little comments here and there, like "I don't get what you're talking about," or、um, I, I remember certain comments in the early days when I was still with、um, that my first boyfriend.、Um, just like I don't. I don't understand. Like, can we stop talking about this? Or like an eye roll when I start talking about the business to somebody nearby. It's like, oh, like get over it. You've been working for fourteen hours. I don't want to hear about this for two more hours. Like, you know, it was kind of that. Like they started to resent it. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, would you say there's been a price for success in your life? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind is my health.、Um, in the middle of 2019, I didn't realize that I was about to experience、um, a burnout. I had heard and read all about entrepreneurial burnouts and didn't realize what it truly was. I I, I had read that、um, it is like complete lack of energy, like it's a fatigue, like you can't do anything. But I didn't think that. It was something that you can't overcome, or that it was like this insurmountable, like it just takes over your whole body. I don't know. No one's ever really spoken about it in depth, but it was sort of June or July 2019, and I had had some numbness in the back of my leg, and ended up、um, getting an MRI and and finding out that I had.、Um, Had an impingement on my spinal cord, and I had to go into emergency spinal surgery. We don't know what that was really from,、uh, but that was really scary to go into surgery. And then the day that, so I was in hospital for eight days.、Um, I was in ICU for a couple of days as well. I was just on morphine and ketamine and tremadine, like I think eight different painkillers, and I couldn't walk, and it was really scary actually. And recovery was three weeks, and I was forced to like pen. Down, you know, like I couldn't、right. do anything.、Um, and then the day that I left hospital was the day we were moving house, and this was also, <gasps> of course, <laughs> of course.、Um, and keeping in mind, this was June, and I was getting married in November, and so I just had so much to still. Do and prep and still run a business. I had eleven staff at that time. We were trying to raise more capital, so we were in the process of raising capital. I went into hospital, moved house that day,、um, and then it was what was the next thing that happened? There was just such a series of things that happened. It was, I guess, yeah, it was like my hens party in the lead up to my wedding, and then it was my thirtieth, and then for my thirtieth,、um, my mum. Um, took me to Bali with her on a girls trip,、um, at like the next week, and then、uh, I was getting married. And the day before I was getting married,、um, like I was on a business call because an investor meeting had evolved into、um, a sale meeting. Like, would we?、Um, Look at getting acquired, and so we were having this big meeting. It was like the day before my wedding, and then I <laughs> and got arranged a pause. <laughs> yeah, and then I got married, and then I、um, like went on my honeymoon the next week, and then came back, and we were still talking about this sale, and、um, yeah, then Urban Company like came about, and it was it was like every one thing after another, and. In my personal life and in my business life, and this whole time, Lisa had gone to America to raise capital.、Um, we went to Silicon Valley initially together, then came back. Then that was when I hurt my back,、um, and she stayed there, and and she never came back. Actually, she fe- fell、oh. in love, and、um, oh. and never came back. That's such a cute story, <laughs> <Yeah> . though. <laughs>、um, and so she was over there, living there. So I was running the business. In Sydney time by myself, even though she was、um, trying to work Sydney hours, but not quite exact.、Um, but then I was like physically trying to manage the office and manage our staff,、um, and even and you like, kind of lost your other half, yeah, like, overnight. Which yeah. Is, yeah, and that was challenging. And then I remember on our honeymoon,、um, every morning it was just like work time. So we'd go to the、um, hotel like lobby area and like open our laptops. This is my husband and I, and like every day we just did a couple of hours of work on your honeymoon. On our honeymoon. <laughs> so. Like, Just <laughs> things don't. It just doesn't stop. And then it got to、um, January, and like I, my back was still in recovery. And I don't think that you realize how much、um, your body 
puts all of its energy into healing when it's it's injured itself. Absolutely. Um, that's and why you have to sleep so much. Yeah. And so when there's also foreign material that's been put in your body, you don't know if it's going to reject it or not. So I had, um, yeah, like metal and, and whatnot screws put in my body. And this type of operation, it wasn't just through my back. They actually had to cut me open through my stomach um, and um, do part of the operation that way so that it wasn't too risky to... Um, my spinal cord and then flipped me over and did the other way. So it was just like I was recovering from that. Um, and yeah, it, I started to feel really tired um, by, you don't like, say. Ja- <laughs> by January. And then, and like the bushfires, and I felt like this emotional weight of everything that was going on in the world and in Australia at the time. And climate change was really weighing down on me a lot. And it got to the point where I, I literally couldn't get out of bed with my alarm. I couldn't get up for Pilates or to go for a walk. It was really, really weird for me. Um, and I it, I got to the point where I had to go get blood tests. I was just so not myself and found out that I was in a very low cortisol state. So your cortisol is the hormone that's released. It, it um, gets released in the morning when you wake up. It's what peaks your wake up in the morning. So it's at its peak and it's highest then and it slowly um, reduces during the day. So the reason why you feel the most awake in the morning and also the reason why if you then fall back to sleep after that peak, you go into what's called sleep inertia because you the next time you wake up, your cortisol's already dropped. So you're not as like, you don't have right. that peak. Um, but I didn't have any, of, I was constantly in a low cortisol state. So nothing was waking me up and I had run out of adrenaline. So without knowing, I'd been running on adrenaline for like completely for over six months probably for seven years but like (laughs) intensely for six months and so my adrenal glands ran out basically like stopped producing adrenaline so I like your fight or flight isn't there um your like your reactions your yeah the fatigue it felt like lead was in my body and the doctor said it's going to take nine months to recover like you have to really slow down you have to sleep um because if you don't attend to this and you don't take care of yourself it will turn into chronic fatigue and you'll be like this basically forever if you don't attend to it and that was like very scary to to hear and then covid hit um a couple of months yeah a couple (laughs) of months in and it just like forced me to slow down no commutes in the morning no alarms um I was still working but I was I was so lucky to um have you know, the urban company, um, Australian country manager, Ritesh, he was so accommodating and really empathetic and said, just nap when you need to, take rest when you need to. Your health is the most important thing. I was, it was so obvious that I was burnt out. I was genuinely just like a, a shell. And within like, I'd say four or five months, I was recovered as opposed to nine months because I Incredible. had that slowdown, which was so amazing, but it was a very scary time um, when your body starts like just not working the way it's supposed to. Absolutely. Wow. What an amazing story that I, I feel like so many people would be able to relate to. So we've spoken about how, you know, you just loved Glamazon so much. How has that changed for you over the course of your career? Like, do you still have that same like love and passion and drive for what you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't do anything that I didn't feel passionate about. I'm one of those people who, if it's not making me happy, I get out straight away. That goes for friendships, relationships, business, family. I mean, it's never happened with family, but you know, uh-huh. I think that I would just be someone, I, I always voice my opinion. I believe communication is so critical to removing any doubt a lot of the time there's these like negative narratives or fake scenarios people play over in their head and then you have a conversation about it and it's just so different than totally happens to me all the time (laughs) happens to everybody so communication is really important um yeah have your priorities changed I mean I'm a different age now like you know going into um I'll be 32 this year, so I think Oh, we're that, actually like the same age. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, starting Glamazon when I was 23 to being now 32, yeah, of course my priorities have changed because I think of just, I, I've just grown up and, and you have different responsibilities. Do you plan to keep working once you start a family? It's such an interesting question. It's one that I discuss. Um, I discussed with my husband last night. Um, first of all, the pressure to have a family at a certain age is 
oh, I, I think it's so wrong um, people asking a woman about <sighs> their plans to have a baby, if a baby's coming, is it on the radar? Um, I know my grandparents are from a different generation, but it's like the topic of conversation all the time, especially once you've been married for you know a year and a half and Jack and I have been together now for six years, so it's oh, like wow. it's it feels like it should have happened already. Um, it's something that I definitely want, but it's not on my priority list right now. And Jack said to me, you know, do you think that you're going to be the type of mother who wants to go straight back to work? And I actually, my gut instinct, I won't know until it happens, but my gut instinct is the way that I am with business, which is that I get really obsessed and I put my heart and soul into everything that I do. I always want to show up 100%. I think as soon as I have a baby, I'll be that type of mother as well, where I just want to be 100% in it. So I so get that. Like people always think that because I'm so focused on work that I'm not that gaga over children. But I actually got a cat a couple of years ago who is my fur baby. And sometimes when I leave to go to work, I cry. I'm not even joking. <laughs> and then I freak myself out because I'm like, when you have kids, this is going to be heightened. And I'll just be one of those moms who is like, if I can't work from home, I'm not going to work because yeah. I don't want to like miss out on anything. Yeah. Not even a meow. <laughs> oh I know that that's ridiculous. You're but a I mother. Totally, I am a I'm, I am. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what advice would you give women who are in the wrong personal or professional relationship but too afraid to walk away? Three words. Chase your bliss. If something is not making you happy, walk away. I you have that. one life. This isn't a dress rehearsal. Like you have one life and within that life you have a certain number of years where you're at your peak, where you have the most amount of opportunities coming your way. Energy. Your energy, your vitality. Um, I think that your ability to be vulnerable, all of that is compacted into a certain amount of years. It's so quick. So if something's not making you happy, you have the power to change that. And you will be okay. You'll actually, if, if it's a fear about money, if it's a fear about losing something, you may have to go through that loss to feel better eventually. And I think when you push through discomfort, that's when you see the change. Absolutely. So what does having it all mean to you? And do you think women can have it all? Again, having it all is based on your definition of what having it all means, from someone's perspective, the fact that I don't have children by now may look like I don't have it all or there are certain things that lack in my life compared to other people. It may not look like I have it all. Having it all to me is like waking up every day feeling fulfilled and challenged and maintaining amazing family relationships and friendships with just a handful of my best friends and an amazing relationship with my husband. And I think that for me, that is having it all. Um, there's nothing else that would make me that much happier. Everything else on top of that is a bonus, but it starts from within and filling your own cup up and working on yourself every day and not kind of playing into that. Even when you get into a relationship, you know, this the other half or like your mm -hmm. better half, like why halve yourself? Totally. It should more be like if uh, this imaginary cup that is filled up all the way and then when a partner comes along it overflows the cup and oh, if I they were to that. ever leave you're still your cup is filled to the brim still and you shouldn't deplete any of that cup filling for somebody else so it does start within and doing what makes you happy and focusing on your version of success once you've defined that. I completely agree. I always say, like, you should just write your own rules. There is no one way to do this, right? Yeah. But, I mean, we've obviously spoken about children. Do you think women are under more pressure than men to achieve having it all or their version of having it all earlier in life? Yes, because just biologically, if you are a woman who decides you do want to have a family, you do need to have a baby at a certain age. And unfortunately, that age usually coincides with the same age as when you're peaking in your career. And it is such a a decision, like this really big, what am I going to sacrifice? And I, I do see it happens with women all the time. And it's unfortunate that that age is just the same. And you know, when you have a baby, you you have this dependent and they are dependent on you. And as much as, you know, it would be great to flip gender roles completely and have a, 
your partner, a, a male, um, or you know, a, another female, or whoever your partner is, looking after um, that child. The reality is, you have to. Um, they're dependent on on you as as a life force. So I think that. 100%. I think that that is difficult and it definitely puts a lot more pressure on us to achieve earlier on so that we can be at a certain place by the time that that time comes along. Or at least learn how to balance it all, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's all an individual choice as well. Um, And I guess that's a choice that you, you make when it comes into your life and it's about being aware of what makes you happy. If if what makes you happy is going back to work after three months, like so be it. And there should be no judgment for no judgment. any other woman or any other person about your life. And you know this, that I, I just live by you do you, boo. Yeah, like, love it. For everybody, like you do whatever makes you happy. And if I'm a close friend of yours, like I'll always support that. If As long as you're happy, then that's... Exactly. Couldn't agree more. So did you envisage your life looking different by the time you were 30? I don't know if I envisaged my life. I knew that I was going to do something. I think I had a a feeling I was going to do something. Like you you kind of know how you are from school, like how you are, I don't know, with exams or assignments. I was terribly naughty. So (laughs) (laughs) I I hope that it's not going to continue for the rest of my life. (laughs) I I just think that even then though, you would know where that naughtiness is coming from. Is it, was it, is it because you are just like a defiant person or was it attention or was it like you, you just like I was just a rule out. breaker, yeah. you know? Yeah. I didn't and like that, being told like how to live my life. And that can <laughs> translate so nicely into your adulthood now and your success here is that I think that being a rule breaker is so important and that's why you've started this podcast to share your voice and it's such a And to an change the narrative voice. for women, yes, right? Yes. Like I want to break all the rules. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So yeah, I think that I always knew that I was going to do something, but I don't think I pictured where I'd be or who I'd be at 30, but I'm I'm really proud of where I am and who I am at, yeah. at 31. And so you should be. So the purpose of this podcast is to write the manual for the modern woman together. What are the top three pieces of advice you wish you knew starting out? Uh, I wish I knew that rejection and failure was a good thing, that it was, that seeing mistakes gets you one step closer or identifying mistakes gets you that one step closer to success. Um, So that's definitely one. Um, Yeah, I guess people don't care. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, Yeah, like just be as vulnerable as you want. People don't care and they also don't remember. Like people forget about your life. They are so focused on their own life. Um, and what's another one? On that note, though, people don't care and be as vulnerable as you want because everyone's going through the same thing, right? Yeah. We're all humans. Yeah. I think another thing is that initially when I started Glamazon, I felt like I had to have this really, like, tough kind of exterior and be, like, this boss girl, especially Girl Boss had actually just come out, that book by Sophia Amoroso, and it was, like, a hashtag girl boss was like the theme of female entrepreneurship, but it kind of put women in this box where they had to be a little bit, I guess, bossy and like the male equivalent of a boss. I hate that whenever so, I hear that. Like, no, but like we are so powerful as women. We don't need to pretend that we're men, absolutely. you know, behave like that. And so I wish I knew that I didn't have to live up to that version of, of female entrepreneurship. And what I know now is that leading with kindness and empathy is by no means a weakness. It's such a strength. Um, and potentially, if had I done that earlier, maybe I would have um, realized more opportunities or seen certain things come to fruition earlier. Again, everything happens for a reason, but I'm glad that I know now um, that just being kind and human and just empathetic. Just being yourself because you're all those things yeah, anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, vulnerable. It's so courageous and um, and it, it's by no means a weakness at all. Yeah, totally agree. So what's next for you? I'm definitely staying with Urban Company um, for as long as I possibly can. I hope when they go public um, that, you know, we're in 37 cities now. I, I wow, hope that we're 37. In, I had no yeah, idea. That's I hope huge. we're in 100 by the time we IPO. Um, and that whole IPO process is something that I've always wanted to be involved in. So it's very um, exciting. I'm really excited to, to learn all about that, that entire process. So that's what's on the um, agenda for me. And, and 
one day growing a family as well. Yeah. Um, but a yeah, lot to look forward to. A lot to look forward to. Well, Lauren, absolutely. thank you so much for coming on the Single at 30 podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And as always, you're such an inspiration. I can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. It's been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to this Single at 30 episode, How to Chase Your Bliss and Define Success on Your Own Terms with the inspiring and lovely Lauren Warwick. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. If you have any questions, feedback, or even an episode idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30 or join the Single at 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.